showdown in Congress over tax reform and an ongoing debate over how to handle accusations of sexual harassment. We talk with Congressman Luke Messer, Jim Banks, and Andre Carson, plus Governor Eric Holcomb on the controversy over CBD oil. And you'll hear from the new top Democrat at the State House. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. First up this morning, more fallout from the Mike Flynn news on Friday. The former national security advisor pleading guilty in federal court for lying to the FBI about his conversations with the Russian ambassador. This video outside the federal courthouse on Friday, Flynn pleading guilty for lying to the FBI. He was fired for lying to Vice President Pence just weeks after the inauguration. Now he's reportedly telling investigators he was directed by the transition team to reach out to the Russians. A lot of ongoing developments moving quickly on that story. What a week it was in Washington. The Senate working overtime on health care. More talk about sexual harassment, more controversial tweets, and this news Friday about Michael Flynn, with more developments on the Russia probe expected next week. On Thursday, I spoke on the record with a member of the House Intelligence Committee, Indiana Congressman Andre Carson. Joined now by Congressman Andre Carson. I want to ask you about the Russia investigation. The attorney general was just in front of your committee in a closed session. Also, Donald Trump Jr. reportedly testifying in your committee next week. I know you can't say a lot about the specific circumstances, but generally speaking, where are we in this investigation? What are you hoping to learn? Well, I think that um, every hearing or interview that takes place in the committee um, is a is a different piece and a newer piece into a broader puzzle of trying to get to the bottom of the extent of Russia's influence in our electoral process and look at the players in the administration, the Trump campaign, um, who were involved in making this manifest itself. And so that's our function. We're taking a three-pronged approach. Uh, the House uh, Intel Committee, we have our strategy. The Senate, they have their strategy. And Director Mueller's uh, apparatus, they have their strategy. And so we have a three-pronged approach uh, in hopes of looking for a criminal activity from Director Mueller's view and the Russian influence in terms of our view uh, on the committee. So that's the beauty of having a democracy, a functioning democracy like ours. I also want to talk about the backlash to the president's retweets this week, those controversial anti-Muslim videos. You responded on Twitter saying, Quote, what the president tweeted is hate speech, pure and simple. You're one of two Muslims serving in Congress. What does a message mean like this to you when it's retweeted by the president? Well, I think that um, uh, President Trump has gained popularity because of his provocations and because of his entertaining personality. Uh, but I think there comes a point, as a commander-in-chief, he must demonstrate responsibility. And that responsibility means that um, he has to be the president for all people. That includes Christians, uh, Jews, Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, non-theists, and the list goes on and on. Buddhists, goes on and on. And I think that he cannot, nor should he, single out a single group and make broad condemnations of that group. Most Muslims um, are peace-loving Muslims. There are some who claim to be Muslim who uh, do horrendous acts in the name of Islam, but they don't represent the true tenets and values of the faith. And the same applies for other faith systems as well. And so I felt like, and I feel like his tweets have been irresponsible and misrepresentative of what 
the presidency should be about. This conversation about sexual harassment and your colleague, John Conyers, Nancy Pelosi has now said she wants Conyers to step down just a few days after saying something considerably different about the situation. Do you think he should step down and do you think she should have said so sooner? Well, Congressman Conyers is uh, certainly a legend, an icon, civil rights icon. I think that his work uh, is unmatched in the way of civil rights. Um, I do think that um, Leader Pelosi um, made the right decision. Uh, I stand by her decision. I think given the, uh, the, the amount of claims that, that, that we've seen um, um, and, and uh, the growing calls for him to resign and step down, um, they, they, they reaffirm more and more evidence that we're seeing as well. So I, I stand by Leader Pelosi's decision. You believe also that he should step down at this point? Yes. Uh, more broadly on this issue, what does Congress need to do uh, to make sure that there are settlement payments with public money, to make sure that lawmakers are trained on this issue? What do you want to see happen so this doesn't occur in the future? We're all attending sexual harassment trainings this week, uh, as well as staffers have already completed that. I think, I think the fund is, is something that was a surprise to many of us. I think it's clear, though, we have to push back on sexual harassment. As the father of an 11-year-old daughter, um, you know, I'm, 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 my objective as a dad is to make sure she's protected, she's respected, that she feels that she can do anything a man can do, and that she establishes proper boundaries in relationships. That, that's my duty as a dad. But also understanding uh, being... Um, um, having friends, um, having siblings, having cousins, uh, having co-workers and subordinates who are women, making sure that they're empowered and they aren't in a space where they feel threatened either. So much happening this week in Washington. Congressman Andre Carson, thanks for taking a few moments with us today. We appreciate Always it. Always an honor. Thank you, sir. All right, indeed, for much of the week, the conversation continued to revolve around this issue of sexual harassment in the workplace, in the media, and in Congress. Our Matt Smith has more. We cannot and we will not tolerate that kind of behavior. House Speaker Paul Ryan, hours before the House votes to require mandatory sexual harassment training for members of Congress and their staff. Allegations not just rocking Hollywood and the media, but Washington, too. I do find some of these cases to be astonishing, inappropriate, and an egregious use of our taxpayer dollars. Indiana Congressman Jim Banks is co-sponsoring a number of bills, alongside, he says, training for himself and his staff. I've mandated that every member of my staff in my Washington uh, D.C. office and in my district office back in Indiana also take these courses so that we can better identify cases of sexual harassment and prevent them as well in our office. Congressman Luke Messer is helping write sweeping legislation that would prohibit the use of taxpayer dollars to secretly settle suits. It would also prohibit and release staffers from non-disclosure agreements, which are meant in part to keep Washington quiet. We need to release these victims from their non-disclosure agreements so they're empowered to tell their story. And we need to stop the use of any taxpayer dollars to pay these claims. Do you believe more stories will come out if they are able to be released from these non-disclosure agreements? Well, I think the truth should come out. Serious allegations have hit high-profile lawmakers in recent days, including Democratic Congressman John Conyers and Senator Al Franken, whose case will go before the Senate Ethics Committee. I support that 100 percent. 
and let the chips fall where they may. The fact that this is happening is despicable. I mean, clearly sexual harassment is outside any congressman's job description. Therefore, taxpayer money should never have been used. And I believe the victims of this harassment should be empowered to tell their stories. Okay, Matt Smith with the latest. Matt, thanks. Up next this Sunday in Focus, the Indianapolis Councilman who's refusing to step down despite facing charges of child molestation. So what will happen at tomorrow night's council meeting? And you'll hear from the new top Democrat at the State House, who's considered by many to be a social conservative. Is there some discord amongst Democrats over this pick? Stick around, we'll be right back. UND professor Dr. Laura Wilson, former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy for the Democrats, former state health commissioner Dr. Woody Myers, and also Tony Samuel, who served as vice chair for the Indiana Trump campaign. I've got to start with the Mike Flynn news. I'm sure some of you have different perspectives on all of this, but Laura, it seems like another uh, pretty big development in this Mueller probe. It is. And what's interesting is the development that it is. So he was indicted, of course, on one charge in terms of lying to the government, not directly related in terms of involvement with Russia, but the fact that there was only one, the fact that his son wasn't indicted, it leads you to believe that there's going to be a lot more coming out very soon. Seems like there uh, may be some cooperation now from Flynn. Tony, what is your take on this from uh, Trump camp? Well, I would just remind everyone that the president fired Mike Flynn back in February, just as the president, uh, the campaign, and led by candidate Trump at the time, got rid of Paul Manafort back uh, shortly after the convention in 2016. But is there concern? How high up will this go? Well, we'll wait and see. There's uh, still a lot to come out, I think, uh, as far as either answers uh, that, that might uh, implicate others or uh, a good defense from, uh, from the administration. What are your perspectives? Well, it's really yourself. shameful is uh, looking at the clips now of Mike Flynn leading the chant at the Republican National Convention of lock her up, lock her up, lock her up. And now look what he has admitted to and the likelihood that if, unless things progress over the next year the way the Mueller wants that Mueller wants them to, he might be locked up as well. Mike, many of us were there at, at the RNC. That's right. I heard. I happened. stood there on the floor and listened. I thought it was a little bit. I thought it was a little bit uh, over the top when he said that. Of course, I didn't know who he was that much at the time. But I think that the 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 big story. And I think Laura's right that this is just the beginning. Uh, Brian Ross, who's a legendary uh, inv investigative reporter, the last twenty or thirty years, said today or Friday, I should say, that um, Flynn has agreed to uh, testify and say that uh, Trump himself directed him to do some, some of these things. So, as uh, Tony said, we don't know what that means, but we'll all be watching. A lot of questions still about who directed him. Some reporting, it may have been Jared Kushner. Uh, others had mentioned Vice President Pence because he was in charge of the transition team. He apparently was not in Mar-a-Lago uh, when that happened at that meeting, was here in Indiana. Uh, of course, uh, this conversation continues and it will go on. We're also talking about everything that has happened this past week in terms of the debate over sexual harassment. Laura, we saw just another whirlwind of events this past week. Matt Lauer being fired. Uh, you saw more uh, allegations against John Conyers, Al Franken. Uh, where is this conversation headed next? What are the lessons uh, to be learned? Well, I mean, I hope our current and future lawmakers are looking at this. I think we should hold our politicians to really high standards. The, the challenge is there does seem to be a bit of a double standard because you look at Al Franken, John Conyers, um, Roy Moore, a lot of the people in elected office haven't necessarily stepped down, haven't changed, versus in the private sector in terms of the media, even Garrison Keillor 
Matt Lauer, you know, something comes out that's verified to be true, and then they're out of their position. So I, I don't know what the lessons are exactly right now, and I think part of it's looking back at it, but I hope we're understanding that we hold people to a high standard and these things are being taken very seriously. These are all very different cases, uh, we should again point out, but uh, all troubling in their own right. And also, Mike, uh, we're also talking uh, locally uh, about a, a story again this week, the councilman here in Indianapolis charged with child molestation, refusing to step down. There could be some very interesting developments at tomorrow night's council meeting as Jeff Miller uh, continues to remain steadfast. He has not resigned. He even appeared at a series of public meetings last week, making no mention of the charges he's facing. You once served as county chair for the Republicans. This is becoming an even more difficult situation now for local Republicans. How would you handle this? You can't actually get rid of him. No, unless he's no, no longer it goes on, the worse it, the worse it is. But I think uh, Senator Jim Merritt, who's now the chairman, is doing exactly what he should do. I think he's working with Maggie Lewis, the Democratic president of the council, to squeeze Jeff Miller so that if he won't leave on his own accord, uh, they can embarrass him into leaving. One is to take away his committee assignments, move his chair, take away his email access. Everything that you can possibly do to make him understand that neither party is welcoming him anymore, and it has to be a bipartisan effort. All right. Meantime, new developments on Roy Moore and this super PAC we told you about last week here in Indiana that's supporting the Alabama Senate candidate. We talked a little bit about that last week. Then this week we learned the guy running that PAC, Caleb Shoemaker, has ties reportedly to a white nationalist group and also had been working for Mike Braun's Senate campaign. The Braun campaign told the Indy Star, quote, the Braun campaign briefly contracted with Mr. Shoemaker to collect signatures for ballot access once we became aware of his past comments and associations, his contract was terminated immediately. He also says, quote, Mike Braun strongly and unequivocally condemns Mr. Shoemaker's disgusting beliefs and believes they have no place in American politics. Uh, what do you guys think looking at this situation here in this package? Clear Braun needs to do a little bit more due diligence on the people that he associates with, and I hope that that lesson has been learned. Roy Moore continues to be a pretty... I guess toxic situation, although he's back up in the polls in Alabama. How about the way people handle it here? I know it's a much different state, different Senate race, but some of these storylines continue to bring context into other states as well. It's a mess everywhere, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, and in each situation is different. Like you said, right. each state is different. It's hard for us to tell folks in Alabama what to do, and he is up in the polls, and you kind of could tell from the very beginning that he was going to stick with it, and we'll, we'll see what happens. But there is one thing in every state that should be the same, and I think Tim Swearen said it best in a recent column a couple days ago. He said moral relativism is not Christian. And we have some of these, not all evangelicals certainly, but some trying to hide behind the Bible and hide behind Jesus and say that, you know, Roy Moore should go to the Senate. And Roy Moore himself said they don't want to send me to Washington because they're afraid to hear about God. We just don't want to hear about God from Roy Moore, quite frankly. And I think that's, that's the, big, the big shame of this whole thing. Not that somebody commits a crime, that's bad, but that somehow you know, so-called Christians try to use the Bible to defend absolutely despicable behavior. A lot of talk, uh, obviously, about this Roy Moore Senate race. A lot of talk in the Senate this past week about tax reform. Uh, obviously, Mike Braun, who we just mentioned, Todd Rokita, Luke Messer, among the handful of Republicans looking to unseat Joe Donnelly, whose vote on tax reform was being watched closely. Uh, some delays on this tax reform issue toward the end of the week, some last-minute changes, some negotiating 
still to be done and a lot of questions still. Uh, what will Donnelly's vote on the bill mean for the Senate race? What will this tax bill mean for Hoosiers? What will it mean for the future of Obamacare? Still a lot of unanswered questions. There are, and it's, uh, it's a shame, but there are probably only a half a dozen people who today even know what's in the bill. Uh, and that's, that includes the members of the United States Senate who will probably uh, vote for it and, and against it. So it's going, to be a, it, it's going to be a very difficult negotiation, I think, between the House and Senate because there are so many different aspects that so many special uh, parties want. And so we're not there yet. It's going to be a while before we actually see what damage this is ultimately going to do, especially to health care. This is something Republicans have definitely been fighting for to get a legislative win in, in the Senate. And it'd be great for them. I mean, if, if they can do that and you're, you know, 11 months at this point away from the election, and I'd be interested in other people's takes, but I see it as being a positive for Democrats and Republicans if it passes, because most people, as what he said, don't know what's in it. So if it were to pass and then people say, okay, so we have this new tax plan, what is it like? And they either reward or punish their politician at the polls next November. What would that mean for the president if it really gets to the finish line and if he's able to sign it by the end of the year? Well, I think one of the uh, uh, little-known stories here is how well he's worked with uh, both House and Senate to, to get this to, to where it is now. Um, this is kind of his issue, and it's, it's going to be big when it, when it does finally get done. Another thing I might add, Republicans want this tax relief, but Democrats have in the past been saying they want middle-class tax relief, and now they're just not, they're not following through. Okay. Speaking of health care, former Eli Lilly CEO Alex Azar was on the hot seat this past week for his confirmation hearing. He's the president's pick to be the next Health and Human Services Secretary. He told the Senate Health Committee that prescription drugs are too expensive and he wants to get prices lowered. Meantime, let's shift gears at the State House this week. House Democrats have selected their new minority leader at State Rep. Terry Gooden. Gooden has served in the House since 2000, representing people in southern Indiana, in and around Austin. He's known as a socially conservative Democrat, often siding with Republicans on issues like abortion and gun control. He says his ability to work alongside Republicans will help make the House a better place. We will be able to reach across the aisle, we'll be able to shake hands, and we will uh, disagree when we disagree, and when we agree, we'll be able to move forward. And I don't think there's any reason for discourse or contention. I think uh, the only way you can get things done is to be able to move forward. Not all Democrats are happy with this choice, though. The author of the Indie Democrat blog writes, quote, Terry Gooden, seriously, if the Democrats, quote, in power are this oblivious and elect basically a Republican as their leader, he put it, why bother? with state politics. Uh, Woody, it's a choice some progressives aren't happy with. What do you understand that, but I, I think we should give Terry a chance. Uh, for, from all reports, uh, he's a, a good guy to work with. Speaker uh, Bosma has reached his hand out to uh, be uh, of help to get him going. I, I'm going to be cautiously optimistic about this choice, and, and, and Terry will have to listen to all of his constituents and listen to the other members before he makes a final decision. Ed, you worked with him in the legislature, I think Mike. Terry yeah. is an outstanding human being. He's honest, he's sincere. Uh, with him, his word is his bond. And, and that's really what you have when you work in the House, particularly yeah. when you're in the minority. You have to reach across the aisle and make deals, is what he said. And I think the guy is a class act. Real quick, I do want to hear from Governor Holcomb because we have been talking about this CBD oil controversy. He spoke last week after providing a 60-day window where just warnings would be issued. Here's what the governor said earlier this week. We want to make sure, absolutely uh, sure, that uh, THC is not in these products. I oppose uh, legalization of marijuana and uh, the de decriminalization of marijuana. But I want to make sure that the folks that are dependent upon CBD oil um, still have the means to do that.
Going to be a lot of talk about this issue, a lot of talk about alcohol sales as well coming up in next year's session. Coming up next, a sad farewell for two well-known names here in Indiana. Welcome back. Indianapolis Public Schools will be putting two tax levies on the ballot next May. A $92 million referendum would cover operating costs over the next eight years, while a $200 million capital referendum would focus on structural upgrades. Dr. Lewis Farabee spoke with our Fanchon Stinger Thursday in a Fox 59 exclusive. We're asking for operating and capital referendum uh, this May in the primary, and we're asking our community to come forward and support us to ensure that we have the resources for our students and families. The superintendent says the referendums would cost families an average of $25 to $30 a month. If you have questions or concerns, you can voice them at board meetings starting December 12th at IPS headquarters. A couple of sad farewells this week. The Indianapolis community mourning the loss of businessman and philanthropist Andre Lacey. The 78-year-old died in a motorcycle crash while on vacation in Africa. He was the chairman of the Indiana State Fair Commission. Vice President Pence among the many in politics sharing their condolences this week. Also some sad news for fans of the Indy 500. Actor Jim Neighbors died Thursday at the age of 87. Known for his role on the Andy Griffith Show, he was also the signature voice on race day for so many years, singing Back Home Again in Indiana. Back home again in Indiana And it seems that I can see the gleaming Finally, this week's winners and losers. Tony. Two winners this week, President Trump for his efforts on tax reform and the new House Democrat leader, Terry Gooden. I got to work with him also in the State House. A uh, good centrist leader, more of what that party needs. Wait. Mueller's clients, the people of the United States with the, uh, with the indictment and losers, those of us who are big fans of Jim Neighbors and his uh, rendition of Back Home Again. Sad news this week. Winners this week had to be Luke Messer for his legislation to prevent uh, federal tax dollars from going to sex settlements. And Charlie Brown, 76 years old, uh, just an incredible state rep from uh, Gary who's retiring. The loser has to be, losers has to be anybody who thinks God wants Roy Moore in the Senate. My winners and losers are in terms of the sexual assault and uh, harassment allegations. Winners, victims who are being taken seriously and have suffered under this. The losers, people who are still in positions of power. I think there's absolutely no room for that kind of thing. All right, thank you all for being here. Thank you for watching. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.